Hey, how are you doing? I'm Steve Follen. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for storyteller Jay Kootin. It's kind of hard to sort of arrange your portfolio in a way that caters for everyone. I've gone through many stages of taking projects down, putting them back up. Sometimes we forget we have our own projects and ideas and things we want to do. And I would say about 50%, maybe even more, of my clients come from people looking at my own personal projects. I'm still learning. I think the business side was something I tried to avoid for the longest time because I wanted art to come first before anything else. Yeah, so there is Jay, who calls herself a storyteller slash illustrator, or is it visual storyteller slash... Anyway, we will find out very soon indeed. She goes by the name of The Inktrovert, which is brilliant. So yes, as ever, for Jay and for all of our other guests, you can find details of what they're up to at beingfreelance.com. If you enjoy the conversation as you hear it, you can always reach out to them, tweet them, send them a message on Instagram, put it in your story, whatever it might be that you prefer to do. At LinkedIn, heavens, why not? Go on. Uh, so yeah, share, share the podcast but also it's really nice to reach out to the person who has been on I think anyway especially lots of them are like a little unsure about coming on you know they're not all gobby like I am so yeah it's always nice to hear that people have enjoyed what you do also at beingfreelance.com you've got the vlog which is what I get up to as a freelancer which recently has included the live episode up in Manchester which is going to go out, I think, in a few weeks' time. Basically, this season will come to an end, and then I think we're going to put out the live one. It'll either be then or in the summer. Anyway, whatever. It's in the vlog, my trip to Manchester, which was really nice. And thank you so much to everybody who came up and said hi. So that's at beingfreelance.com. Also, articles are on there. Just go take a look. There's a link through to the community as well, so that you can come and join us for live Q&As. We had one recently with Kelly Dunning, who is an independent or location independent freelancer who we chatted to right at the beginning of this season back in January. She was in the group recently doing a live Q&A. We had Paul Jarvis as well. Uh, Come and join us in the community. Link is at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's go and chat to freelance storyteller slash illustrator from London, Jay Kootin. Hey, Jay. Hi. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. So as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? I would say it was out of rejection, basically, and just wanting to do my own thing. I think in university, I was in a stage where I needed money. I was now going through this artistic path, but I was still a bit confused about it. But I was known as the artistic one. So people kind of asked me art-related questions or wanted me to do their branding. So it kind of all started from university, really. So what were you doing at uni? Um, I was actually studying visual communication, graphics and illustration. So it was kind of a way to just explore the path I decided to take because just before I went to university, I was actually applying for, I think it was criminology and sociology. Wow. Yeah, totally, totally different because for some reason it hadn't clicked in my head I could take the artistic sort of path. I'd always been doing sociology related stuff and economics as well. I also applied for economics in Lancaster, I believe it was. 
So yeah, it was kind of a switch, but that I was still not really knowledgeable of. So when I got to university, it was just like I'd thrown myself into the deep end without actually ever studying art. But you suddenly found people calling you the artistic one coming to you. And were you being paid to, to create branding for them and stuff? That first sort of client, no, it was just helping a friend out with a society. They wanted to explore doing T-shirts and logos and stuff. And back then, I still wasn't sure what sort of artist I wanted to be. So I kind of just said yes. And they just gave me, um, they gave me shout outs, basically, and free stuff. But it wasn't a paid job, no. But did it give you the confidence that maybe that was something you could do? Yeah, because I like challenges, really. And it wasn't just to simply do a logo, it was to explore some branding. And ever since secondary school, I like doing projects where it requires concept and research. Because like I said, I never studied art, but I'd done graphic products. I'm not sure if that's still a subject now, but that includes research, includes building stuff, includes planning. And I really liked that instead of just... I don't know about anyone else, but in year seven, I always remember drawing fruit and drawing just objects, really. And I never really liked that. So this was more of a challenge, really, just to try and figure out what I wanted to do. So how did it evolve from there? I think I realized I didn't really like doing logo design. This is like a running joke with me and my friends that I just don't like doing logo design. No offense to any logo designers, but I feel like it limited my imagination because when I take on a project, I'm an extra person, like as in I'm extra, I do research, I do this, I do that. But with logos, I think it kind of limits me personally in what I can do with it. So from that, I decided I wanted a brand basically because even though I was studying visual communication, I still wasn't very bold with my art. So I came up with a name to just explore my art that I didn't necessarily have to put my own real name on but I could still have some sort of cover like identity to promote my art and yeah I just started going from there I made sure I'm good with branding personal branding as well so when I came up with the name The Introvert I made sure it was everywhere I made sure that no one else had it I made sure that I had a own personal logo and that I was like it was recognizable basically and that name was? Yeah, it was the the introvert. So I was brainstorming names and I've always been um, introverted and ink was like my first love. I love drawing with ink and I wanted something clever, but not too gimmicky. <laughs> and it just, it just kind of made sense. I, I asked a friend, like we had, well, I had come up with two names and she said the introvert was much better. So I went with that and it's been about five, six years. I've been going under that brand name now. I've got to say, I love it. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> it does stand out. But when you said, so you went to make sure that you got it everywhere. So what, you you made sure you could get the URL? Yeah, I made or... sure. Basically, I made sure on my Instagram page, my Twitter, my portfolio that it was there. That was even before my own real name, it was there. So I, I want it to be a thing when people Google it, I'm the first one to come up. I'm the only one to come up because back then I didn't really know about registering names and I didn't have much money, but I didn't want it to be stolen or taken. So I thought the best way to do that before I registered it was just make sure it was everywhere. And that was kind of helpful as well, because even when it came to Twitter, when people were asking me for artwork, they liked the name. And they even thought I was a guy because I didn't put my real name. I just put the introvert everywhere. So 
it became quite a prominent brand for me from the early stages, even though I hadn't got many clients yet. So you didn't have like your photo or something like that. You're a bit like Banksy, no. just like this anonymous. Basically, yeah, because I've always been kind of like, I don't, I don't really like sharing my personal life that much. I've always been kind of mysterious. So it was either a logo or an illustration of something I'd drawn or even myself, but not a lot of people knew who I was back then because I just I just didn't really have much courage with my art then it was still the early days I was still figuring out my sort of brand and what I wanted to do so I liked having something to hide behind and you mentioned you know you didn't have much money or know what you did so you didn't register it does that mean you have registered it since oh yeah definitely yeah because it came to a point where I knew I needed to be wholehearted with what I was doing and I wanted to be professional so that meant registering it so I wouldn't get into any sort of conflict later because I became attached to the name and I really felt like imagine if someone just came along and wanted to take the name I think that would have really really upset me after all the work I've put in under that brand so as soon as I could I registered the name. And how was that as a process? So this is registering a trademark right? Yeah yeah I thought I quite enjoyed it because it was it meant that I was taking on this role, this brand professionally. And even though it's not that much money, but it's a lot of money at the same time just to register a name for me anyway. I just like receiving a certificate, you know, it made me look professional. It's It means I can trademark it. If anyone approaches me, I just have the certificate there. And it it's kind of nice to just know and have that like, oh, I've invested money into trademarking this brand because I care about it. It's something I plan to do for a very long time. And as a process, so in the UK, is it is it like a trademark within the UK or is it like a... Yeah, it's just for the UK, I believe. Um, I think the international one is a lot of more money. And I feel like maybe in the future I would... I would invest, but I feel like for now, even if someone else wanted to use that name, I feel like I've used it so many times. I'm well known for it that I don't think someone else would bother. That's mm. what I'm just hoping. I'm just hoping, basically. Yeah. Okay. So you are at university, you know, going back in time in your story. So you're at university and you're figuring it out and you've decided to call yourself the introvert, but that still isn't a business that still isn't you know get, getting paid for this so so what happened so I think around my final year that's when you start applying for jobs basically and I came to the realization that what I want to do is very niche and I was trying to figure out oh should I just apply for graphic design jobs just to get my foot in the door or just you know, way out for the unique sort of opportunity that would just appear in my lap. And I was just struggling to find a job. And I did apply for one job that I thought I was going to get. I really thought I had it in the bag and I didn't get it. And I remember just feeling so devastated because I felt like it was my only chance. So I graduated from university without a job and I was just, I didn't know what to do with myself. But at the same time, I'd always been a proactive person. I've always had my own ideas and stories. So I thought if I just at least do that, just to keep myself sane during the summer, because the summer after graduation, I think for a lot of people can be a bit stressful because you've graduated, you kind of don't know what to do. But I don't like being idle. So I was like, let me just work on my own projects and see what happens. And because of that, I 
drew an illustration of a musician that I really like and I put it on my SoundCloud profile picture. Like I was saying before, I hardly have pictures of myself anywhere. And a producer saw it and she was looking for music, but she saw that and she was asking me questions like, oh, what do I do? And from that, she realised that I was an illustrator and she commissioned me to do a film poster for a film she was producing. And that was kind of like the first time someone had approached me rather than me seeking out jobs. Wow. Off the back of seeing it on your SoundCloud page. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really random. (laughs) It just goes to show, doesn't it? Putting ourselves out there. And and so how did that feel? You were suddenly being paid to to do what you wanted to do. It was really cool because I'm the type of person that, if I'm going to take something on, I have to be really interested in it. And the way she approached me, the way she explained what she was working on, I just loved the whole idea of it. And the meeting went very well. And it was for a film that I really, really was invested in the story. It just wasn't a random film. Like everything about it from the production, from the cinematography. And it's just a short indie film. But I was really, really, really appreciative of just being approached. And I was I was all in. Like I didn't really care how much um, she would pay me. I just wanted to do it basically. And I had so much fun approaching a brief that was beyond me. But when I'm challenged, I think that's best for me in terms of enjoying the work because it gives me something to do, something to work towards. So yeah, that was really, really fun. So that's one under your belt. How how did you grow it? From there, I realised I like music and film-related projects. Anyone that knows me, I'm a big music fan. A lot of my friends are musicians and I go to the cinema every week. I love film. And even though I don't work in those industries, I want to be connected to it. So I started seeking out those sort of freelance jobs so I just yeah I, I would spend days just going through Twitter loads and loads of tweets going on every website you could think possible just to look for jobs relating to that and I did find a few I did a couple here and there but they weren't really big in terms of getting paid but I didn't want to give up because I realized that's what I really really wanted to do so I've always pursued that really and it helped me kind of distinguish from doing work just for the sake of the money and doing work because I really I really understand the projects and I really, really love to be a part of the project so it can actually go in my portfolio. And so so how did people then discover you? I think even though I don't really like it, I think I'm good at marketing. In terms of my my Instagram page, for example, has no pictures of me. It's just my illustrations, the projects I've worked on and then and on Twitter, I was making sure I was tweeting my illustrations. I was making sure that my name, my the introvert, was popping up all the time. I felt that was really, really important. And just being referred to by friends and stuff, because I feel like in my circle, there's only a few sort of creative people. So from what I gathered, for when people were talking in conversations and they needed an artist, my name will come up. And that's how people have found me. So I've got a few random emails from someone saying oh so and so mentioned your name that sort of thing so a lot of it is by word of mouth to be honest and just seeing my name pop up on social media sites and you decided to call yourself a visual storyteller rather than an illustrator yeah I thought this was important because one a lot of people still don't know what an illustrator is 
And I felt that I needed a title that explains what I did. So it wasn't limited to drawing. So storytelling in terms of pre-production, visualising, not just finished art pieces. Because I I like to do work that requires some sort of research. There's some in-depth sort of thought to it. There's loads of concept. So I thought that would be a better title for what I do, basically. And on your website as well, you have scripts. Yeah. So are those scripts that you've you've written? Those are scripts, yeah, that I wrote in university and a bit after because I felt it was they were they were really good. Like I know it's my own work, but I felt that they were really good and I should stop hiding my work. So if I was applying for a job that um they needed writing examples, I felt it was important to have that online, not just my my illustration work because it's kind of hard to sort of arrange your portfolio in a way that caters for everyone I've gone through many stages of taking projects down putting them back up and when you apply for different jobs they sometimes want to cater to portfolio and that can be tedious in itself but I told myself that if I do want to go more into storytelling as well I need to have some examples and and the thing is is that yeah it doesn't matter that it might be university work you know that's no different to somebody maybe doing a, a side project now and put putting it in their, yeah. their own career do you, do you continue to do side projects now um I do that all the time I think sometimes as freelancers I don't know about everyone else but I feel like sometimes we forget we have our own projects and ideas and things we want to do and those are the stuff that keep me going it helps me sort of work on my craft it helps me explore different ideas and it keeps me sane as well say if I don't have anything for a while it's good to have your own size projects and those are the things that have got me noticed to be honest I, I would say about 50% maybe even more of my clients come from people looking at my own personal projects because I don't get to put all of my client work in my portfolio so I think yeah I think it's very very important to do that how have you found like the business side of being freelance, the pricing or the contracts and uh, the rights to the work and all of that that suddenly lands on you? I think I'm still learning. I think the business side was something I tried to avoid for the longest time because when I was younger, freelancing to me, it was just a dirty word. I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. To me, it just sounded so stressful. It sounded like an unsustainable path it sounded like too much work so I just tried to avoid all of that because I wanted art to come first before anything else because I do better when I focus and concentrate on one thing but I also realized as I got older if this is something I really want to do if this is the path I'm going to take I need to learn the business side of things so in terms of self-assessment all of that sort of stuff I made sure that I knew what to do even if it's just the bare minimum, I, I at least know what I need to do in terms of forms, the deadlines, all of that sort of stuff. And in terms of pricing, that's been a process in terms of figuring out what is the right thing to charge, which is so hard because I realise when you go online, it's just it's just not obvious. Like so many times I've been online just to see like how much I should charge for a book, for example. And then I always feel so, so exhausted after because I'm trying to figure out. But at the end of the day, no one is actually giving like a price. It's just from what I gather, it's just you need to figure it out for yourself, which is true. But it's so, so hard sometimes to kind of price your work and how to do it. 
Yeah. How did you figure it out? Well, with different projects, I realised I needed sort of a base sort of price that I would not go below, which is, I think that's so important. And I also learned to suggest, not suggest, to actually tell the client I require 50% deposit because there's so many cases where I've started a project and it's just fallen through or they don't want to continue, but I've invested so much time into it and it just got ridiculous at one point. So I've always said 50% deposit to start and it's kind of like an insurance so like you at least have some sort of pay even if they don't go through with it and in terms of contracts just a simple written contract I believe helps just so there's evidence of what the client sort of expects and what you're going to provide because you can get to a point that they might just disappear and that's happened to me many times they've just disappeared off the face of the earth and that was basically my fault because I didn't set a contract or anything. So I learned that from the beginning. That was an important thing to do. Mm. So all of these are working remotely, are they? Mainly, yeah, because I'm based in London, but I have been to Bristol to work on something. Sometimes I take some work on holiday. But yeah, working remotely, working from home and working from my studio space that I had last year, which I don't have anymore. And I think that's one of the best things about what I do right now at the moment is that I can work from wherever I want. What led you to the studio space and then what led you back out again? With the studio space, it was just an opportunity that I saw online where um, they gave me a discount and I thought it would be nice to work from a different environment because I believe that's really helpful to change where you work sometimes because you can be inspired by different things and I kind of felt like at home I don't have a proper studio and it was kind of affecting my work and I just needed somewhere new really and then I realized at the same time I was in a position where I was more concentrating on my own work than doing a lot of freelance work so in terms of spending money at a studio it worked out better for me to just go back to working from home at that moment in time. I see so if you don't have that overhead that you've got to pay off it makes it easier to work on your own stuff. Very much so yeah. But how did it feel when you were working there was it like a was there a lot of other people there or? Yeah, there was a lot of other people there and I loved it. You meet different types of creators or artists, so to speak. I met people who were in marketing. I met fine artists. I met people who were just there to work on really random stuff. But I've learned, especially for university, when I'm surrounded by, by people who do different things to me, that can be equally as inspiring than if I'm with other illustrators because you get to have these conversations, you get to make connections and I made a few connections whilst I was there so I think it's really helpful sometimes to just move from where you are sometimes and just experience different things and you don't know how it will influence your work or your client work really. Yeah so you think you try again? Oh yeah definitely like I like to move from place to place so it's just the period I'm in right now it just made sense for me to work from home again. What's your work-life balance like? Because there's obviously a lot of client work followed by Mm. a lot of personal work. What about everything else? I mean, when I'm freelancing in-house, it it just seems like a normal nine-to-five. So it it would just be mainly working on client work whilst I'm there. 
But if I'm working remotely, if I'm doing random commissions, my life work-life balance is much better. And I feel like in comparison to your other guests, I'm quite an amateur slash immature in, com- in comparison with what they're doing. So at the moment, I have the opportunity to still kind of have a very good sort of social life because I tend to go to a lot of gigs, go to the cinema a lot. And that influences my work because I still have the time to do that. But at the same time, I don't know, it's it's really hard to explain because sometimes I don't remember what I do in a day. But when it comes to like at nighttime, I'm suddenly aware of all the work I have to do and I do it all then. But I can do that because I don't have my own family right now. So I can work through the night. So I don't even know if that's a healthy work-life balance, but I always (laughs) make sure I get the work done. And sometimes it can mean that I enjoy myself too much sometimes. But I feel like sometimes that's important because it can inspire your work. It can give you a sort of rest. So when you do go back to work, you're you're operating from a place of relaxation. It's not it's not pressure, it's not stressful. You, the work will just flow. Yeah, no, I like that. So you might just head out for a day and do something different and end up working it of an evening. Yeah, basically, I love to do that. I just tend to work better at night, I've realised. So when I'm not working in-house, I do that. But but when I'm working in-house, obviously, I need to go to work at normal hours. What sort of thing do you do when you work in-house and what's that experience like? So when when it comes to in-house, the jobs I've done have all been to do with children's edutainment, which I actually love. That required pre-production, writing, visualising, research a lot of research as well which I love doing and I think that's another part of my sort of artistic path that I really want to get into because I think with my personal work or private commissions they're more music and film based but in terms of freelance contracts it will be children's edutainment children's edutainment so what sort of so what sort of thing is that so I'm really big on alternative learning and it being fun because I really struggled in school. I was known as like a trouble student. There was always something wrong with me, basically. And I learned things in a different way to others. I was a very visual learner. So all of my workbooks in school were covers with drawings. And I used to get in so much trouble for that. But that's the way I used to learn. So when it comes to children's edutainment, there's a really big focus on it being inclusive, it being fun. And within that, obviously, you get to explore drawing, animation, and whilst learning as well. So that's something I'm really, really interested in. And it's really fun as well. Cool. And so what would you say? Because, I mean, you said earlier on that you like challenges. But what, what have you found, like, the biggest challenges of being freelance? Apart from everything, um, <laughs> I would say... I think when you're pursuing a particular sort of vocation or path that is against the norm, it requires a special sort of sacrifice. And a lot of people do not understand that. And whether in terms of friends or support or people who want to do that themselves, they don't really realise it takes time. You've got to try and enjoy the process. And that was a challenge for me in the beginning. Not that I thought it was going to be easy, but... I think it took me a while to realise how much it's going to take out of me. And in terms of just making money and having sustainability, 
obviously as you get older you want to be sustainable you want to have income and that can be a challenge whether to just accept jobs just for the money and I definitely went through that and a couple years ago I had a part-time job but it was taking so much out of me and for the whole year I barely did any freelance work and I told myself if I I was going to be at that job I need to quit after a year because that could not be my path because if I was going to be a freelancer I wanted to do I wanted to take it on wholeheartedly rather than dipping in and out of it so after a year of being there I just quit I couldn't do it anymore and I felt so much relief it meant that mentally I can concentrate on freelancing and just doing projects I enjoy but that was a big challenge because it's a risk it's a big risk and I think a lot of people are scared which is understandable but for me, it was a challenge I needed to take on. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you should have money saved up before you dive into freelancing, which is such a good idea. Personally, I did not do that. <laughs> I, I was just like, yeah, I need to leave. And it wasn't like an immature decision. It was something I needed to do. I wouldn't suggest it to everyone. But for me personally, it was the best thing to do at that time because my health wasn't good. And mentally and physically, everything was just all over the place. And I needed to remind myself of what I was supposed to be doing. And you can easily get lost and comfortable in a part-time job if you're not sure of what you're doing, basically. And you just kind of settle. And I didn't want to do that at all. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Jay? Okay, so in university... When I got there, it was the first time I rode a bike and I didn't learn fully until I was about 22. When I was younger, I won a Cartoon Network competition on TV. And when I was in primary school, my front tooth got knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) The front tooth that got knocked out, was that the baby tooth or the one that had replaced it? It was a baby tooth. It was a baby tooth. (sighs) How did it get knocked out? So in primary school, I don't know about other countries, but dodgeball is a it's quite a popular thing. And I remember being on the outside playground, was just running around, and me and a boy just ran straight into each other, and his head knocked out my tooth, basically. Yeah. Ow. You'd never ridden the bike until you went to university, but you still got on it and gave it a crack. Yeah. I mean, I went to a lovely university and I believe that's one of the biggest campuses in Europe. And our art block was, I don't know why they did this to us, but our art block was across the road from the main university. So we'd have a lesson there, but then on the other side of the campus was our lecture and we had to get there within five minutes. And it was just ridiculous. And I I just didn't want to be sprinting through campus. And everyone was sporty at my university. So I told myself I was going to learn how to ride a bike because I could not be sprinting back and forth. So, yeah. And that was the first time I got to ride a bike because in my area where I lived, it wasn't really common to, like, ride bikes and play outside. Not like it was, like, for other people when they were younger. So it wasn't really something that was on my mind until I got to university. And I realized I'd been missing out. Which uni did you go to? Loughborough University. Mm. Yeah, Loughborough is very sporty, isn't it? I'm surprised they don't get you to ride a bike at the interview. Oh, gosh. <laughs> what was the other? Oh, you won a Cartoon Network competition. What was the competition? Yeah. 
So back in the day, I don't think they have it anymore, but there was something called Scatuni. So in, in the breaks, there was this little cartoon host that did like little shows and stuff. And one time there was a competition where you had to draw your favorite um, character. And me being the extra person that I am, I drew Samurai Jack, Powerpuff Girls and all these characters, sent it in. But at the time, I don't think we had Sky Plus. So it required me just watching Cartoon Network all day to see whether they put up my illustration <laughs> and it was it was ridiculous but I managed to catch my illustration on there and then they sent me a certificate and yeah it was a really weird and random proud moment and I was only about 11 years old but it was it was cool it was really really nice because I kind of grew up on Cartoon Network so it was kind of crazy to see my illustration on TV oh, that's nice um these are all very believable. I've got to say, Front Tooth, Cartoon Network. Okay, I'm going to say Cartoon Network is true. I like the thought of having to watch it constantly to see if you came up as well. Rode a bike at 20. I don't know about that one. I mean, the bit which stands out about that one was the fact that you said, you mentioned the age of 22. And I'm sitting there thinking, mm. but how old are you when you were at uni? I did foundation year at university first and then I did my degree. Oh, but so. did you or are you just making that up in order to cover <laughs> for the fact that you've got the ages wrong? Oh, no, I'm going to say you, I bet you did ride a bike. I bet you were a champion cyclist for the <laughs> county or something like that. You you taught Laura Trot how to ride a bike. You rode a bike. That's the lie. Yeah, that's the yes! lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you hadn't have said 22, I would have still believed that one. I was actually 22 in university, though, so yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well at least my bad maths paid off. That's good about the Cartoon Network at the front, too, though. Now, yeah. if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I would say pursue it wholeheartedly and with consistency because if you dip in and out of it, you kind of get out of practice and then you won't really be known for what you want to do. And then you kind of find yourself taking on jobs you're not really sure about and that's not good. So I think it's helpful to find the focus as well. So you take on the jobs and you enjoy them and you put your whole sort of energy into them. And it, it takes a leap of faith to be a freelancer as well. You sh the fact that it could be difficult and it could be a bit stressful, should not deter you from taking on the path. Because if that's what you want to do, if you feel that sort of routine would be better for you, just just try it. Just try it. And try and find someone who maybe is in a similar sort of path, even if they're not really an actual mentor. Um, if you just look at what they're doing, I have many people that I just look at what they're doing, I'm following what they're doing, and they might not realise it, but I'm really just focusing on how they do things because it's inspiring it helps me and it gives me that sort of encouragement to not give up and as well I think it's important to have some sort of mission statement for yourself so you don't get lost so when it comes to doing your personal projects taking on projects you have something to refer back to and yeah it will keep you grounded really. I like that a mission statement so so you figured out what it is that you're really after so that you can you can align what comes your way to that yeah is it an actual statement or is it just sitting away in your head <laughs> um no I've written it down I have different sections for it and it's something I always advise my friends to do as well even when they're looking for 
salary jobs like I talk to a lot of my friends like that because they want to go into freelancing as well just have something written down so you're not stuck if someone asks you to do something and you have limited time to answer you kind of know what you're going to say because you're already establishing yourself what you're going to do and what you're not going to do so you're clearly still the introvert but have you started to step out from behind the name and show yourself more yeah, I have. I've definitely done that. I would say a couple of years ago, I would probably not do something like this because I was just not very bold. And it's taken a while. I think that's another important thing is to you need to be you need to be able to stand firm in what you do. So when you meet people, instead of just shying, like being shy about it, just tell people, oh, I'm an illustrator I'm a graphic designer, whatever you are, it's good to just know who you are when you're introducing yourself to people as well. And I think coming out of my brand has also helped me a lot. And it means that when I'm applying for other things as well, I don't have to hide behind the brand. And it helps me expand what I'm doing as well. So say I want to move on from illustration and just concentrating on writing that will not be under the introvert brand. It might just be under my own name because as I'm getting older, I want to do new things. So yeah, it's taken a while, but I've definitely got used to using my own name more. Go to beingfreelance.com. There will be links through to everything that Jay, the introvert, is up to. Go to beingfreelance.com. While you're there, check out other episodes, the vlog. Join the community. There's a link through to that as well so we can uh, you can come and join us. We're having a lot of fun over there. And, oh, yes, if you've enjoyed this, please share it. Tell other people, be it online or in person. And I haven't, I don't often mention this, but if you could consider leaving a review wherever you get your reviews as well. They say that's meant to help. So, you know, let's take all the help we can get. That would be brilliant. But uh, for now, Jay, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. Thank you.